see all of you here in this morning worship. Uh, this is the third week, the last uh, message teaching in our series that we've called A Glance Across the Room. And we've called it that because that's all it takes. It's all it takes is a simple glance across the room when we do something that we often don't talk about, but we all seem to do it. And that is we compare ourselves with other people. And the first week Pastor Steve talked about that and talked about the dangers of comparing ourselves to other people and the pitfalls of that. Last week I shared about uh, how that can evolve into something we call envy, where we uh, are um, eating away at, in a desire for, for what other people have that we, that we don't have. And so today I'm going to talk about another similar manifestation of that, that comparing, uh, which is uh, judging. Which is, which is judging. And this past week, I was driving home with my son, my seven-year-old son, and uh, he was having a bad day. Oh, I'm sorry. It was the worst day of his life. <laughs> and he was in this frenzy. You know how they get, and you just can't stop it, and you try to reason, and there's just no doing. And I was, there was a few things that I was trying to piece together, like, oh, okay, this is what really is bothering him, but there seemed to be a whole other loads of things that was there that he was not able to share. And I could sense that frustration with him. He was not really able to spill out exactly what he was trying to say and make sense of his seven-year-old emotions, which makes a lot of sense. And so he just started rattling off all of these grievances of things that contributed to the worst day in the universe. And he ended up targeting another boy in his class, in his, in his school. And he said, he said the kid's name, and he said, and he's so mean. And he followed that up with, he's got anger issues. <laughs> and my first reaction was, well, that's very perceptive and articulate of him to say. Um, but as I thought about it, it actually it was very articulate. But it wasn't very perceptive because what he couldn't perceive, what he couldn't make sense of was all these flurry of emotions that he just didn't know. And so it just made more sense to just pick a target and go at it. This is kind of what it looks like to judge other people. And we have a host of things going on inside of us and it's hard to make sense of it all. And so it seems just easier to, to pick a target and to look at that other person and to see what they may be doing or not doing. Sort of a cover fire for the emotions that we have that we, that we can't make sense of. And so judging really is another evolution of, of all of this. Now granted, we make judgments, we are forced to make judgments every single day. Circumstances that demand us to make a decision, such as maybe you're a boss or you have employees underneath of you, and maybe something would happen with those employees and you would have to make a judgment. You'd have to make a decision based on the circumstance that was put before you. Or you have a dinner at a restaurant and uh, you get the bill and you make a judgment. Was it good service? Was it good enough food? How much should I tip then according to that? We're faced with all these little mini judgments, decisions, and oftentimes we have to make them on the spot. They are snap, reactionary sorts of judgments. 
So I'm not really talking about those kinds of judgments, but, but I am talking about those judgments that we make that we think we need to react to, that we think we need to respond in the moment or to make a, a, a snap decision, but really the circumstance doesn't dictate that. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a video that went viral across uh, the world. And the video captured uh, maybe a minute or so of a circumstance that happened at the, the Lincoln Memorial. There was a group of kids and one particular young man who had a uh, red Make America Great Again hat and he was standing very close to a Native American, uh, seemed to be a protester, who was beating a drum and, and chanting and, and doing his song. And it seemed as though he was standing very close and, and mimicking and mocking. And it, certainly it seemed that way with all the other students behind him and, and all of that. And it was, you know, a minute or so of, of a video. And the world went crazy based off of a minute's worth of video. Now, I'm not here to make a position on this video. Seems like there was all kinds of blame to go around, and, you know, there are all kinds of things to be said about it. However, it was very interesting to see how the world responded to this short clip. You know, there were other perspectives that were brought after the fact. There were other videos. There were other opinions that were brought after the fact. And one thing was very clear, that that one minute or so video was not enough. It really wasn't enough to give an objective understanding of what was happening in that moment. And people of all different political persuasions fell victim to that trap of that need, or that, 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 that thing within us that we have to respond. We, we, have to, we have to react to this even if we don't have the, the full picture. This is just one reason why Jesus offers a warning in uh, a piece of one of his most famous sermons. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. That's the, the, the title that people have given this sermon. And it uh, starts in Matthew chapter 5. You can read all through it. And it covers all kinds of different topics. But in chapter 7, he just starts off. He says, do not judge. Do not judge. Don't, don't do it. Now, this scripture is, is quoted quite often by people. A lot of people, even people that are not Christians or people of faith, know this scripture. And whether you're a Christian or not, what seems to me is that most people that pull this scripture out of their pocket do so not when they have been the judger, but because when they've been the, the victim of someone else's judgment. Maybe they did something wrong, they feel it, they feel the weight of someone else's judgment, and they remember Jesus' words suddenly, do not judge, right? See, it doesn't feel good. You know what it feels like, right? You know what it feels like to be judged? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good at, at all. When I was... Um, in the early weeks or so of, of dating my now wife, Amanda, I was feeling a little judgment from my father-in-law who had every right to be judgmental towards me in that particular situation. But it didn't feel good, and I didn't like it. 
And so I felt the need to be a little defensive. And part of the defense that I was going to make, that I wanted to make, was, look, you don't actually know me. <laughs> Take the time to get to know me. And if, and if you get to know me, I'm confident that you'll like me and you'll approve of me. So, so the, that little snapshot that you have right now, I get it. I understand the concern. It's sort of being a dad. I get it now. I get it now. <laughs> but would you take the time to get to know? Would you know a little bit more of the story? Would you have the patience to, to see the, the full picture? It doesn't feel good when those things that are being said about us, we just want to say, you know, there, there's more to my story. There, there's, you know, what you think you know about me, that doesn't define me. You have an incomplete and inconclusive picture of who I am. That's why it's not, it's not right. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a good feeling. It's the same feeling that we might have when we're walking away from a bad job interview or an awkward first date or when you hear people in light of what they've done wrong and word has started to get around of what that thing was that they did wrong, they, we want to jump out and say, no, you don't understand the, the whole picture. Or you, you find people, and maybe you've said this and I think I've said this too, is that that when something you've done wrong becomes known, you want to just declare and clarify with people, is that, wait, no, I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm not what you think I am based off of this one thing that I have done. We sense, whether we're a person of faith or not, we sense that there's more to us than that small snapshot of what people have, have made of us or their impressions of us. Uh, imagine with me a, a courtroom where there's all kinds of judgments made, right? And there's this little gavel hammer thingy, right? And isn't it interesting that the judge um, who is ready to make a decision, they declare a decision or maybe somewhat, a, you know, a jury's decision, and they take that gavel and what do they do? They slam it down. And it gives us this idea that it's final. Like, it's done. What has said is said. What is decided is decided. And you can't reverse it. You can't go back on it. That's that feeling we get with this, this gavel. And that's the feeling we get with judgments, isn't it? There's a conclusion that is reached. There's sort of a finality to people's judgments. And we want to say, don't make a conclusion because I'm not conclusive. <laughs> Don't make a conclusion because there's more that's going on. Don't rush to a conclusion because you might find out something more about me or the situation that might change your conclusion. So don't rush to the conclusion. Don't slam the gavel down on me because there might be more to, to the story. We're not conclusive. We're not a finished product. There's not... We're not defined by the individual decisions that we, that we make. And our faith teaches us that God also speaks that into our lives. I'm not done with you. You're not a finished product. 
I have more to do. I have more to work. I have more to shape and form, mold in, in your heart and in your, in your life. There's, there's more to that. And we want to say, yes. So don't make a conclusion when I'm not conclusive. And so Jesus goes on. He says um, in, in Matthew 7, he says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure that you get. Now, on first glance, this is a little bit of a what goes around comes around type of teaching. And and, and it is. But what Jesus is saying here is that when we judge, we inappropriately place a value on ourselves versus other people. That we create an inequality. That when we take the role of judge, we place a certain value and importance on ourselves over and against the other person. And Jesus, in this text, is riding the ship. Is creating an equality where otherwise, in our judging, in our judgments, we create an inequality. So if you can imagine, in a courtroom... When you are sitting in a courtroom and maybe you're sort of a witness or maybe you're sitting and observing, you'll notice that the judge wears kind of like a fancy dress, right? Well, they're not wearing a fancy dress because they couldn't find their clothes that morning, right? And, and when the judge walks into the room, the bailiff will say, all rise, He's not saying that because we need a, a, a stretch break or an exercise. And we don't call the judge your honor because we forgot his or her name. There's all of these traditions and customs in that courtroom. Why? Because there is a certain power and a certain authority that that judge holds. That the role and responsibility we've given that judge is a huge role and responsibility. It carries a great deal of weight, a great deal of authority, a great deal of power. And what Jesus is saying is, look, judgments, making these judgments, being a decider, a judger, has a great deal of power and authority that goes with it, and I didn't give you that. I have not given you that authority. And in fact, that authority belongs to who? Belongs to me. It belongs to God. God has that authority. And scripture is very clear about that. If you look at Psalm 50, verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. God himself is judge. Psalm 82, 8, rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Isaiah 33, 22, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our ruler. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And a very interesting scripture in the New Testament in the book of James, and I always love how James kind of words things, and he just says, there is one lawgiver, and there is one judge who is able to save and to destroy So who then are you to judge your neighbor? 
It's a good question. If God is the one lawgiver, if God is the one judge who is able to save and destroy, who then are you? I'd love to just cut that off. Who are you? Who are you then to be the judge? What kind of authority have you been given? What kind of right have you been given? This is the question that rests for so many of us, that we are so free and happy to point to the other person who has been judging us and remind them, who are you? And yet, in the midst of this secret thing of comparison, in the midst of this secret thing that when we compare ourselves to other people that could result themselves into, into some form of, of envy or, or some form of, 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 of judging. That is the question that rests for, for us that is so hard to pinpoint and so hard to recognize when it shows its face. In fact, we really aren't that good at being a judge. And we're really not great, great at that. Because most oftentimes, despite if you think your judgments are correct, most people think that, oh, I'm making a judgment because I think I'm right. <laughs> but the truth is, is that when we judge, more often than not, really doesn't matter about what we've gotten right or what we've gotten wrong. It really matters about where it's coming from. And there's a small amount of judgments that we have to make on a day-to-day basis that the circumstance has been given to us and we have to just make a decision. But there's all kinds of other circumstances that don't require us to make those snap judgments, that don't require us to react in those ways, and yet we, we do it anyways. And it comes, much in the way as my seven-year-old son, it comes from a place, not that the circumstance dictates, not, that, uh, not a role that we have been given, but it comes from somewhere else that was hard for us to identify. In fact, we're bad at judging because it, more often than not, my guess is that the reason why we're casting judgment on another person is that we see all too much of ourselves in the thing or the person that we are judging. More often than not, my guess is that we have, the the person that we're judging and casting judgment on is like a little mirror for us. And it reveals something ugly or, or something that we're ashamed of and it just seems better and easier to point the finger at the other person. I was sitting down with uh, a friend uh, from our, our church who I um, remembered works at a, an eating disorder clinic. And I was asking this person their perspective of comparing and the role of comparing in the people that this person is, is treating. It was kind of uh, eye-opening for me to, to learn what people with a variety of different degrees of eating disorders deal with. And it involves all of these different things of comparing, envy, 
judging and all of that. And it's very clear if people are coming into a situation like this, are receiving this kinds of treatment, it's very clear that the comparing that they're doing, that the judgments that they're making, that the envy that they have, all stems from their own brokenness. It stems from their own shame. It stems from their own vulnerabilities. It comes from a very broken place. And as I was listening to this person tell me about what they do on a regular basis, it really impacted me, and it it made me question, you know, I wonder if all this kind of comparing or envy or judgments come from that same place. I wonder if, if we have this compulsion to make those snap judgments, if we find ourselves lashing out in judgment over a viral video or whatever the case might be, that really it's coming from all of us, for all of us, it's, it's coming from this place that we haven't reconciled yet here within us. You see, we're not really good at this thing called judging or judgments. And Jesus then decides to show us that really we are in the same boat as the people that we are judging, that there, that there, is all, there are all kinds of people with all kinds of, 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 of issues, and we all are held accountable to the one great judge, and that is the one true God. And so if I find myself in judgment of other people, I imagine God saying this to me, why are you trying to take my job? <laughs> why are you trying to take my job, Eric? Why are you trying to take my job? I am the one true judge. And why do you feel the compulsion to exercise judgment over others? And there's a follow-up question to this that even digs a little bit deeper, which is, do you think I'm not doing a good enough job? Do you think I'm not doing a good enough job? Isn't it amazing that in the scales of judgment, of justice and injustice, of right and wrong, isn't it interesting that the one who established these rules, these rights, these wrongs, the one true judge who is the decider of all of them, violates his own system of judgment to offer something that we call grace. Isn't it amazing that the one we do fall accountable to, that the one we all are held accountable to, the one that we will go before and give an accounting of our hearts and our lives and the things that we've done right and things we've done wrong, the one true judge, isn't it interesting that the one true judge, the only one that could exercise judgment upon us is the same one that violates his own rules and says, I'm gonna give you grace instead. That I'm going to send my son Jesus to die in your place because I love you so greatly. The one true great judge is also the source of universal love. 
And there's no greater example of love than this, that Jesus would lay down his life, that our sins would not be counted against us, but we would live in his grace and receive his salvation. The next time that I find myself being judgmental to another person, I have to remember this is a person that Jesus died for. That this is a person that God loves so greatly. And God, help us as your people that instead of reacting out of my own emotions and my own brokenness to see the world in the way that you see it, God. Lord, help me to see others the way that you see them. And I wonder if that, if that would be our prayer, if that would, that would be my prayer. I wonder how things would change, and I wonder how impressions of God's people, the church, would change as well. If we took on this prayer, this challenge, Lord, help me to see other people as people that you love in the same way that you would see them, and to recognize First and foremost, this is a person that Jesus died for. Offers us a, a whole different perspective. Um, you are not conclusive. As Jesus um, offered his life for us, for our own transformation. God was saying, look, this isn't the end of you. I have more work to do. I have a desire to mold and shape you into something that I see in you. To mold you and shape you into something that looks more like, more like Jesus. So help us, Lord, not to judge, but instead to see the world as you see it. Can I offer a prayer for us? Holy God, when Jesus was on this earth teaching and what we recognized as his most popular or powerful sermon. He included these words, these warnings, do not judge. And yet the, the loudness of your warning is not reflected in the hiddenness that I carry judgment. So God, pray, Lord, for a moment of confession that if we have been casting judgment on other people out of our own frustration, out of our own impatience, out of our own hurtfulness, Lord, that we would be able to lay that aside, to exercise forgiveness, to lay aside our judgments, and to see others the way that you see them. You are the one true judge. And we stand in awe of you. We fear you. 
and respect you and honor you. But we also love you and stand in, in, in tremendous gratitude that you, the one true judge, did not see us according to our sins, but looked upon us with the love that's so far greater than we could ever comprehend. Lord, help us uh, today to run into your arms of love. Help us to rest uh, secure in your salvation. And in that, Lord, let us uh, come together as a people in that love and in that grace and in that gratitude. Thank you for this time as your people and above all, God, help us to, to put away the comparing that we tend to do and let your promises over us be the loud voice that we hear, your promises over us to be what we see and feel and experience and to have that centeredness and have that security in you. We ask for that through your power and your love and your grace. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you stand with us? As Eric said, we, we all come before the Lord in need of his mercy, in need of his grace. I'm going to teach you a simple chorus that we're going to sing together just to recognize that need, to express our need for his forgiveness and his mercy. It goes like this. And have mercy in your compassion and take away our sin and you are holy we are unworthy cleanse our hearts with would you sing that with me have mercy in your compassion take away our sins you are holy we are unworthy cleanse our hearts with Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 
go today and reflect on the words that you've heard. Uh, Pastor Eric and I will be up front here, always glad to talk with you and pray with you. If there's something on your heart that uh, just struck a chord today, feel free to come up and uh, meet with us. As you go to, don't forget tonight, uh, six o'clock is the business meeting, congregational meeting, but before then, from 4.30 to 6, sometime in there, drop in. The elders are hosting a chili dinner. And so you can stop in, join us. You can ask us questions beforehand, uh, talk to some of the proposed new elders, ask some budget questions. That's an hour and a half. Drop in. Feel free to, to, to just have fellowship. If you don't want to ask any questions, you just want to have great fellowship. Come and we'll do that too. And finally too, today we extended because of the weather the sign-ups for our group life. And we encourage you to stop by and get involved, get, be part of what's happening here at French Church. I know I've had people ask me, hey, what's this gathering guide you guys have been talking about? And, well, each week for the past uh, four or five months, maybe three or four months, Pastor Eric and I have been putting together a sermon discussion page that some groups have been using, and we continue to do that, and we call it the gathering guide. So that's what that's all about, and I think we're even going to try to start posting that on the website with our sermons each week so you can have it at home. But uh, So if you have questions, there are people out there to answer questions like that, and they'll be glad to do it for you. But as you go this week, uh, please go walk in the grace that God has bestowed on you. And make sure that we offer that same grace to others as we live our lives. 
you are dismissed. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.